turned the radio on. At first, I thought it was full of static. But that sound was like nothing on earth. We took it apart and separated 14 different tracks. Recognize that? Sure not on the top 40 country western. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. I'm assuming we remember how to do this because it's been, I think, a month going from the last release to this release. Yeah, we we kind of had our voices abducted, didn't we? Yes, we suffered an invasion. These strange beings invaded and took over our cells and bent them to their will. We had colds. We had really, really bad colds. Really bad colds. We, we could not record, and you would not have wanted us to if we could. I... I we, if we had recorded, I'm wondering, it probably wouldn't have been English or human. It would have been some alien dialect we might be able to have made out. But true, yeah, maybe the the virus would have attempted to speak through us. Yes, but we're and back now. We're back we're now. Recording. Uh, we're recording again, uh, and from here on out, we will go back to trying to keep that every other week schedule. Yeah, let's let's keep that rolling. And in ca- just in case this is uh, your first time joining us, my name is Matthew Porter. This other guy is Ian Porter, and I'm his dad. He's my son, and what this podcast is is an excuse for me to sit him down and make him watch the movies and TV and things that I remember from my youth, so he knows what happened, and I can find out what he uh, what he thinks of it all. Uh, how how did you become you, and how did you decide and help create who I am? Well, the show that we're going to talk about this time is the quintessential Intermillennium Media Project TV show, because it is a show that had an inordinate impact on me at the time when I watched it when it was first broadcast, and I have not laid eyes on it since, until we started watching it for this podcast. So I didn't even remember much by way of the detail as to why this was so important to me. I just knew that this is something that I watched when it was on, and it was huge in my world. And and my goodness, having just watched some of it, I can see how it influenced. I can see this show permeating through other things. So the show that we're going to talk about is Project UFO from 1978-79, ran two seasons, 13 episodes each, and it was just so incredibly important to me. Ian was shown the show. This is the show he said he saw. <laughs> <laughs> and the Air Force will be investigating to see if the show really did occur or you're just making it up. Exactly. So this is a show. It was based on the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which was, of course, its 20-year investigation of... Uh, one of its many, but the longest-running investigations of, of UFOs and aerial phenomenon. And this was in the late 70s, and I think that that's significant because something we'll probably see, a pattern that we'll see as we continue this podcast, is that since the invention of television, there's been this back-and-forth struggle between television and feature films as to what's driving the culture. What is the really important thing? Mm -hmm. And in the 70s, when Steven Spielberg made Jaws and and invented the the summer blockbuster from Hollywood, movies were ascendant in terms of driving pop culture. 
And that's why, in response to Star Wars, we get Battlestar Galactica. And in response to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, we get Project UFO. Yeah, and and you can even see that pattern continue on. In response to Lord of the Rings movies, TV later takes over with Game of Thrones. There is a back-and-forth trade-off of what the driving force is. I see Game of Thrones as them picking up that same ball and running with it on the other track now. In a, but this is simultaneous, too. So this is what was going on on TV during right. the other stuff. Yeah, so yeah, uh, Close Encounters comes out, I think, late 1977. The next TV season, we wind up with a TV show all about investigating UFOs. Mm-hmm. And it does go back and forth. If you go into the 90s, The X-Files was such an important pop culture phenomenon that movies started to pull what they could from the X-Files and try to chase that spooky conspiracy theory and monster storyline. So so if you if you look at the A-track going from Close Encounters to X-Files to this is the B-track that's always on the other the other cycle. That's right. And it's awesome. I'm well, I'm going I'm going to give I liked this. In the in the the reason I liked this is immediately and this is going to be important for how it's all structured. This is Project Blue Book, very much, I feel, from the Air Force's side. Yes. And that actually made it work better for me. Uh, When we started watching this, the very first episode, and you heard the voiceover, and what did you ask? Is that him? You asked, is this guy's name Friday? Yes. And the answer is yes. I love that. The series was produced by Jack Webb and his production company, Mark 7. And the first episode includes these military time and location stamps at the start of every scene, voiced by Jack Webb with, you know, Huntsville, West Virginia, 0430 hours, July 18th. I was so sad that the later episodes didn't continue that. That was so awesome. And not just because I love that Jack Webb... I don't want to call it rigid, but that style that has this presence to it, it it adds this tone to the entire thing of it's serious without it doing that I'm taking myself serious thing that can go wrong. Right. It somehow seems natural when Jack Webb does it. um, Jack Webb is very much, I'm here to do my job. This is my job. And that, that means that you're invested alongside. Eastern Kentucky, 0416 hours, 14 July. Charleston, West Virginia, 0437 hours, 14 July. North Central Virginia, 0502 hours, 14 July. Silver Hill Radar Site, Washington, D.C., 0602 hours, 14 July. Andrews Air Force Base, Maryland, 0617 hours. 14 July, Charleston, West Virginia, 0750 hours, 14 July, Andrews Air Force Base, 0915 hours, 14 July, Washington, D.C., 1219 hours, 14 July, Andrews Air Force Base, 0916 hours, 15 July, North Central Virginia, 1005 hours, 15 July. And then it settled down, right here. 
So from the very first episode, we have a procedural story in which we are following a pair of a team of two investigators as they receive a report. They go out and talk to witnesses. They go out and investigate the scene. They follow things step by step, trading ideas back and forth that eventually come to some kind of resolution. While meanwhile, Jack Webb is telling us exactly where they are. And what time and date it is. Mm -hmm. This is Dragnet for UFOs. I love it. Exactly the Dragnet formula applied to Project Blue Book. Which is excellent because it does the entire thing of showing how it was done. Without completely saying it's on one side or the other. Right, because there were plenty of them that ended with... We just don't know, or we'll never know, or this, we, we've got the answers to four questions, and they give us another mystery, and that's where they end it. The, I've heard that described as the reverse Scooby-Doo, yeah. where you think you have the explanation, and then they unveil something that means maybe it's spooky. And you can't fault it for not doing its due diligence. The structure of the show is showing due diligence. Right. But it acknowledges the fact that that does not mean we have an absolute certain... Which is admirable. It doesn't feel the need to pick a a definitive. It just has to show you we're people doing the best we can. Right. And after the pilot, it drops the timestamps and the, the, the Jack Webb voiceover. It gets a little bit more like other 1970s cop shows. And it still seems a little bit dated for the late 70s. But it's still very much a procedural investigation show, beginning to end. Oh yeah, uh, you you follow along with you know Major Siri- Sirius and Sergeant Folksy as they go and investigate these things. Yeah, that I don't have their names written down. <laughs> I just have yeah. them as that, but that there's, works. That kind of does. fits who they were. Yeah, there's Major Gatlin and Sergeant Fitz, who are the um, the field investigators for the Foreign Technology Office, based in Wright Patterson Air Force Base, who are. They don't. I don't know that they ever mention Project Blue Book by name. It's just investigations by the Foreign Technology Office. Other groups will later. Uh, other people later say you guys were the Project Blue Book thing, oh, and they okay. will. Yes, sir. But they never come in and say we're with Project Blue Book. Right. It's always they will not. They will not deny when asked by a civilian if they are with this. But it was always like. After five years of this going on, there's been some report that Project Blue Book is out there, and someone mentions it to them, which works and fits. That's they're not going to they're not going to contaminate the reports by getting people excited about the thing that they've heard of, but they're not going to lie to people's faces when asked if they're part of it. Right, and so it was very much the Air Force is not omniscient. But these Air Force guys are the good guys. Mm-hmm. They are honestly trying to do a job and investigate these. And when there is a, quote-unquote, rational scientific explanation that that shows this is clearly not a UFO or something, we know what it was and we figured it out and here's the evidence, they will present that. When they don't know the answers, they will just make it clear, we don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. And and a musical sting will usually, at that point, also inform you that it might be out there. But they'll never, they'll never insist one way or the other. And for all the fact that this followed 
the uh, boom in popularity of UFO stories and, and conspiracy theories and things in, in pop culture, I was still amazed, kind of, when this showed up on television, because it was the perfect TV show for me and maybe three of my friends, and I couldn't imagine that there were six people in the world who would be as well-suited to this. <laughs> and part of that has to do with, with where I grew up. Maybe it was just the 70s, or maybe there was something weird going on in the library where I grew up. I'm saying the library where I grew up, not just you know, the library in the village where I was raised. I spent a whole lot of time at this library. This was pretty much the library where I grew up, this public library. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know if it was just the time or what, but there were a lot of paranormal books in this library. You don't say. There were shelves and shelves. It seemed to me at the time, maybe there was a, a dozen books, but it seemed to me that there was this mountain of UFO books in the children's section. <laughs> And then, in a, a, a little ways away, this sh shelf or shelves of books about ghosts and poltergeists and psychic phenomenon and all this stuff. Again, in the children's section. I don't know. And, and some of these may or may not have been intended for kids. I kind of imagine after the fact this struggle between librarians in this little suburban village where you know, there was one guy who had the authority to buy the books, and he loved UFOs and ghost stories and, he, and, and, and psychic phenomena, and he bought these books. And then somebody else was responsible for shelving them, and she refused to take these things seriously. So she put these all in the kids' section. And the bottom line was, there was a lot of this stuff for me to read, and I did read all of it. <laughs> so I was so primed for, well, for Close Encounters when that came out. But even more so for this every week dose of carefully, thoughtfully investigating reports of UFOs. That says so much. And I'm also thinking a story here where they keep on trying to shelve it in a different section, but every morning it's over at these other shelves. What's going on here? <laughs> but um, but that, that kind of makes sense because that it, this show as seeing these episodes in a row was one thing but i can see how that every week same time would just add or emphasize that structured element of it mm -hmm. yeah it showed that there is a way to approach these things it's not just this is spooky period it's we have a report of someone observing or perceiving certain things we can investigate that to determine if there is support if there's contradiction can we present a possible explanation mm -hmm. or at very, and even if we can't, we can at very least catalog the observations and maybe those, those will be useful later. And our two mains are not opposed to the idea of UFOs. They're not absolute skeptics here just because they don't, they want to show that this isn't real. They're not, they're not scullies in this case. They are here to do their job. And there are different pieces of evidence that will get one of them on the this might be the real one track in an episode now they always come back but like i can't explain that one i'm are you are you certain i'm i'm pretty certain we're gonna find an answer to this okay but which one that is isn't always the same there were epi there, there were i believe episode two had our major really certain that this isn't real but for a little bit our sergeant was uncertain 
And I think there was a reversal of that in like the other, the more recent episode we saw. Yeah, and that's important to, for the. Uh, it it's a real value to having these two characters, these two investigators, where they can place different weights on different evidence. They can have these debates, and it gives them a chance to express that and for us to listen along. So I think that's uh, and, and they're pretty well portrayed by these characters, mm-hmm. by these uh, actors. The the modern version is so likely to put the skeptic with the believer as two poles right as a team yeah instead of having both of them willing to be convinced but never at the same time yep which is a a tighter balancing act but it gives better tension i think yep because you never know where they're going to go you can't predict oh sergeant fitz is going to say it must have been a flying saucer and major gatlin is going to say of course it wasn't here's the here's the evidence it was a helicopter you never know because they are both intelligent and open-minded. Mm-hmm. It, it, it explains why they were the ones chosen for this position. Right, yeah. If you're going to have the military investigating UFOs, you want it to be these guys. And, and of course, I want it to be these guys when I was growing <laughs> up. But, uh, but, yeah, you want it to see these guys doing this job. Oh, yeah. And we watched five or six, I guess, of these, of this, all the first season. And we're not, we don't necessarily have to go into detail about each one, but it's useful to talk about a few of them to show how the the storytelling evolved. I, I kind of had the impression this is a series that was getting a lot of thought, maybe a lot of network notes, while it was in production because of the ways you see it change over the course of that first season. Oh, yeah. Especially from the difference of that first pilot to the later episodes in season one. Right. It feels more wet clay in in that, you know, it's being shaped kind of structural element. Yeah. And the pilot that we saw in the first episode that was broadcast, it's one of these things that makes it clear the audience for a pilot is really the network. Mm-hmm. They're showing, they're pu- pulling out all the stops, showing the network executives, this is what this show can be. This is what we can deliver you every week. Please green light our show. And again, it changed a lot from that pilot to the second episode because they decided to trim certain things and smooth it out and make it a little more uh, up to date. Because the first episode, in addition to having the very military style Jack Webb voiceover of dates and times and places, there was a lot of Air Force footage in there. They wanted to demonstrate the fact that we've got the Air Force cooperating with us in making this TV show. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that has this entire... Two sets of lengthy jet setup sequence, which is, I mean, it's amazing, cool, awesome footage of... Yeah, the jets know. scrambling and a lot of aerial footage of, of the uh, these interceptors in flight, because they're intercepting a UFO that was spotted on radar from an air traffic control uh, mm-hmm. system. I mean, they're getting... And we get this entire... Uh, we usually get, like, a the, the sighting before our, our main two show up, but this is much longer. Yes. Yeah, we get in that first one, we get uh, a far uh, a couple on their farm seeing something in the sky. We get a trucker, a guy driving a truck whose truck stops and is hit by some kind of electrical field and he's knocked out and, and in the hospital next time we see him. And then we get to the air traffic control where they see this unidentified uh, ping on their their uh, radar mm-hmm. and they're in communication with the commercial airline pilots so we get a lot of cockpit 
shots of the the pilot and the co-pilot looking out their windows and talking and eventually seeing a glowing light. And then we get the Air Force scrambling interceptors. I I did very much like um, the radar following everything, getting this nearby plane to sight it, and then having to like rein back, like, let's not send the passenger plane to go investigate the unknown thing. Right. Let's actually call the people we should. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, that was a nice touch. They, yeah, yeah let's, they got 200 people on board. Let's not send them after the UFO. There was, so there was less story overall because there was so much quote unquote filler with all the Air Force footage and, and lots of scenes of people in a cockpit or a dark air traffic control center or something just talking. Yeah. And then there was the other witness which was the old lady on her farmhouse somewhere in Virginia, I think, meeting an alien robot and knowing that it was a peaceful being from above. And we see her picking up her Bible when she goes out to meet the UFO. And some pretty cool special effects for TV at the time where you see the UFO coming close to the ground and it essentially beams down a little robot. And with that, that waddles up to her or rolls up to her and then rolls back. But it was kind of cool. It, it, it was pretty exciting like, at the time. It kind of like rolls over, raises the roof for a moment, and then leaves. That's right. Yeah, like, it did have that kind of... Is woo. this the club? Oh. Bye-bye. Yeah. It wasn't until much later in the season that we get the uh, the fluorescent confetti and, and, and uh, electronic music. That was really the, the sky rave of the aliens. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that was just a, a setup for it. This is more alien as door-to-door salesman. Right. Would you like to buy a vacuum cleaner? And that one ended with the explanation for the UFO sightings were, was a temperature inversion reflecting city lights from many miles away. And an instance of ball lightning, possibly? Yeah, plus ball lightning that hit the guy's truck. <laughs> and just you have... noted, something shook his truck. Sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's another rave term. I don't know. I, I, uh, maybe? <laughs> and that leaves just the lady... Uh, who actually says that she met the robot and knew that it was didn't didn't mean her any harm and she talked to it for a little bit and then it went away. They did not find any physical evidence in the location where she says it landed and then she clarifies it never really touched the ground. It just kind of hovered really low. No tracks from the robot apparently and no, no. sign of radiation because they it's aliens assume, it must be radioactive. Yeah, they assume that to have enough power to travel in space or among the stars you need to have a nuclear reactor yeah but they leave it with they don't have any evidence she is absolutely confident about what she saw and doesn't really care if other people believe her yeah interesting place to leave it again they wanted to loop in as much as they could in that first episode so we get temperature inversions and ball lightning and it's still a mystery and you get plenty of instances of like you're being called over to the main office to talk with higher ups about what what you're going to go investigate and such. Yeah. And you know tell <laughs> we 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 get the higher ups telling telling our our major to stand back. He's not allowed to see this passcode. Although we do get the cameraman getting right up on the passcode to see how serious <laughs> it is that they're they're That's pressing right. in these codes to open up the doors to the <laughs> <laughs> But they, they so they there's plenty of filler of extra layer of procedure they don't put in later just to make this big right. and each story is less stretched in order to make, fit it in but it does give you this nice little diagonal slice 
through all of the stuff this can tackle. Right. And they do set up some other things like their office at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and their secretary, their you know, civilian administrative assistant who's mm-hmm. helping take calls and uh, get things to the lab and generally organizing their information. She's you know, a recurring character who I think is important but doesn't take up that much screen time. And they've got their giant map of the region on the wall. The, I guess that's the reverse crazy wall is the military <laughs> map where they can just stick pins where somebody has reported something. The sane wall. Right. So they really, they set up a lot of things. And again, this is what they need to do in a pilot. But later on is when the storytelling gets a lot tighter. Sometimes they have really a, a two storylines, an A and a B story, rather than put filler into their main story. We get talk of two different sightings, two different reports covered in the same hour of television. Mm-hmm. And that that works. It lets them break things up. It lets them say this is being investigated or we're waiting on this from the lab we'll go check the other thing yep so the second episode gives you a pretty good flip side to the there is a rational natural scientific explanation like temperature inversions plus ball lightning or someone who doesn't have evidence but believes what she believes the second one involves a town where there have been several ufo sightings reported and this town is making bank on that or planning to they oh, are it, the people who have the sightings happen to be like the person who runs the motel and the person who runs the restaurant and one of the, the biggest landholder in the area and essentially all of the city council members and the mayor. And, and they just happen to have seen seen this thing that they can all describe similarly enough. And suddenly there's a lot of tourism in the town for having right. this. Not even that similarly always, but with it a lot with a lot of detail. Yeah. And there's a picture in the local newspaper because someone was able to take a picture when they saw it and they gave that to the local newspaper to print. And and you get this entire town getting antagonistic towards our two mains. This is the episode with the the you threw a rock through my windshield so i'm going to calmly go grab the tire iron and then very very publicly bash the rest of my windshield in to make it safe to drive but in a so we like breaking stuff don't we yeah major gatlin's definitely getting something out of his system when he's breaking the rest of his own windshield there but yeah it's a little bit more like i say a little more 70s cop show and that there's this tension level that you don't see elsewhere, because these people do not want the Air Force coming in here investigating this too closely. They just want reporters coming in and tourists coming in. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we find out why. Of course. <laughs> they've they've set something up here. They've got a model that some that they had a local kid make, and they're they're doing this for the tourism. Right. It's they. It's all fabricated. That's why the stories don't match up. They just all kind of agreed to report a UFO and didn't get their story straight. And they've got this model. The model was one of the really cool things when I was a kid because not only because I was into I was reading Starlog magazine and a lot of things about special effects, and I knew that people were making these models for the TV show whenever they had footage of a UFO. But here we not only had the models that were part of the TV show, but then there was the model within the TV show is really as a model and the characters are building It's a it. diegetic model. Exactly. So that was like, oh, great. There's a lot of things for people who buy, um, you know, model battleships and then don't build the battleship and build spaceships instead. I mean, at some point, if you if you build spaceships out of battleship models, you get the Yamato, but that's another yeah, thing, too. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. 
So this was an interesting parallel to that because it was showing that one of the things these Air Force guys have to do is find evidence when people are intentionally making false reports for bad reasons and expose those. Mm-hmm. It's the one type that they didn't show in the first episode, and it's it's a type that can carry an episode on its own more. Right, because it does have that tension. You do have the antagonists. It's not just our investigators versus a mystery. It's our investigators versus a bad actor who is trying to conceal the truth. And yet... At the very end, that is the most effective question mark. Yes. At the very beginning of that episode, we see this little kid flying a kite, seeing a UFO in the sky. This kite catches fire, and then this thing comes down. Well, we we just see him in the he see it in the sky at the very beginning. I think I thought we saw the kite catch fire in the beginning. Too. Yeah, we saw the kite 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 catch fire at the beginning, but and then then that's the last we see, and then we see people telling this kid to be quiet but we don't hear any more of the kid's story until the very end. At which point he says, so they were all faking? Yeah. But I did see it. It wasn't where they said it was. It was over here. And it, it, it burned my thing. And it, they said, hi. Really, kid? Okay. And then it pans, and there's the half-burned kite. So at the very least, the kite, which is like stuck on a telephone pole or a power pole, has a big scorch mark in the middle of it. There's some physical evidence of what this kid said. Even though the Air Force guys didn't find it, we, the audience, see this physical evidence. But the best was the kid's description of this encounter. Because they, while the kid is telling the Air Force guys, they'll cut to a dramatization of this. Oh, that's the... That's the... And it was... That is what... Re- if, if just the existence of Project UFO as a TV series captivated me in in the pilot that last few those last few scenes of the second episode just totally pulled me in because oh now i'm remembering it the in the the full story that the kids tell the air force guys the ufo lands and aliens come out of it where this 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 being comes out of it it looks like something in a big dome helmeted spacesuit and this visor lifts up just far enough that you can see a mouth, but the mouth is out of proportion as if it's a weird projection, and it starts talking. Do you receive this? Do you receive this? I have taken your form and converted your radio language so that I might be understandable to you. Do you understand me? from the 17th planet of a star which is half the distance from the center of our galaxy to your sun you have no reason to fear me or those who will follow me here we only come to learn when we feel that your life form has the capacity to interact with ours and others there will be additional contact do you understand me for really low budget special effects the alienness of this and the weirdness of it just absolutely knocked my socks off my goodness it still holds up that is that is one of those not too hard to make effects that is so so powerful just because that that base human instinct of seeing a face in everything of looking for other humans 
means that if you wanted to make this look the right kind of alien, just changing the size of the mouth, not giving us the other references, but changing the size of, size of the mouth means that immediately you short whatever that part of the mind is. Immediately, right. you're trying to figure out if the mouth's that big, the nose is there, the eyes are there, that's not on the head, this is not right, what is going on, what is going on, what is going on, and you, like, immediately unnerve the other, the, the, the audience in just the right way. Right, it was this, I recognize this, but it's wrong, it's not right, there's something weird, and then juxtapo- juxtaposing that with... The message that was being conveyed, which was a message of curiosity and peace, was, oh, if aliens come, this is what I want them to be like. Yes. Oh, but they're wrong. There's something weird about this. That was kind of scary for a scene in which nobody was really in danger. You're right. That kind of short-circuiting of your expectations is unsettling, and it was done so well. I loved that. You're as, you're as much afraid of your own initial reaction to them as the fact that they are there. Right. And I don't think the show, to my memory, we haven't watched all of it. I bet we'll watch some more. The show never quite reaches that peak again of that super alien weirdness Mm -hmm. of that scene. But still, I would keep watching just in case they ever get to it, because that was just such a great scene. The fact that you could do that, that editing now easily enough, but it would still be that effective, says something about it. I guess it would. I mean, we're so much more used to video collage. I don't know that it would have as much impact. Did it, did it ha- I guess you just described, it really did have that impact on you still, mm-hmm. like it did me when I was you know, 12 years old. Uh, if I were to be watching a long portion of it, I wouldn't be as thrown. But putting it juxtaposed with this, this real, this, you know, acted footage of everything else is what helped that. Yeah, the brevity and the novelty of it is part of its power. Mm-hmm. You can't leave it on the screen long enough for people to acclimate. Right. And that's something that Project UFO is pretty good about. They they built pretty much built a new UFO model every week, uh, and yet they didn't overuse them most of the time. Most of the time. I, I want to be in that model shop. I want to see the collection. I also... I, just a just a, like a coffee table book of all of the designs they pulled up and the and the artwork they have at the beginning of the episode of the the different UFOs people are saying they've seen they have these hand sketches and such that would be a fun little art book Ezekiel saw the wheel this is the wheel he said he saw These are unidentified flying objects that people say they are seeing now. Are they proof that we are being visited by civilizations from other stars? Or just what are they? And it plays into what was a popular uh, comment by UFO skeptics at the time when the, the UFO craze of the late 70s was going on. is like, how many alien civilizations are visiting us? Because everybody who reports them has a different story and a different description about what they looked like, what they sounded like, what their spaceship was like. I mean, yeah, the fact that no two no two sightings land similarly enough is part of the 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 constant issue there. And the kind the world in which this takes place does sort of develop over time. I think we skipped ahead a couple of episodes then. 
we watched another episode where the episode begins at like a UFO conference and Major Gatlin is on stage on a panel with a a <laughs> civilian UFO investigator who's obviously a true believer type. And they're cordial. They obviously have different priorities, but they are they they are interacting in a cordial way. And this guy shows up during one of their investigations later to talking with the family who were the witnesses. And so you start to see that it's not just the Air Force investigating the, these UFO reports. They have a broader impact beyond the Air Force and the people who report them. Yeah, and they show the other groups, and that's the episode that has the the very, very traditional we're here family who has this big sighting. And that gets a little bit corrupted by these true believer groups trying to get in on it. Right, they're trying to they're trying to guide the reports more in the direction of the UFOs are real versus let's just listen to the reports, examine the evidence and see where they go. And the 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 rancher and the head of this family is a type <laughs> who's he almost is regarding any investigation of his claims as an accusation that he's lying. You know, why do you have to investigate unless you don't believe me, unless you think I'm lying? And this is, you know, the the, the rocked rib American rancher, you know, my family's been on here in four generations and we had to fight the Arapaho for this ranch and we don't cheat. And of course the first thing I did when I saw the Arapaho, yeah. Yeah. The first thing I did when I saw these glow and green things is confront them with my shotgun. Right. Okay. But yeah, they have the the outdoor um encounter or of sighting and then these green glowing entities which looked kind of outer limits. They were the some of the weirder or or cheaper alien encounters we see in this series but you're right yeah they 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 shoot them with a shotgun and then they point to the the window that's been blown out with a shotgun as evidence of the alien encounter and sergeant fitz is pointing out that's evidence that you shot your window with a shotgun it's not evidence of what you were shooting at <laughs> I, I, i've got a summary here but the sunder in, in that family at one point says you know you know, my father finds this all this UFO nonsense to have been blasphemy all this time. So if he says he saw a flying saucer, you better believe him because it's gospel. I'm just like, um, <laughs> how many circles did we travel in for right. a second? In between the 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 fisticuffs we see in that earlier episode with the town that was was trying to build a UFO boom, and this one with the gunplay, I get the impression that at some point the network said we need more action. We need to make this more of a cop show, so we need more action. Uh, they change the soundtrack a bit. gets a little funkier. Oh, my goodness. It's a little Air Force base, right? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. If, if, if you're playing along at home, that was a dad joke, so take a drink. Oh, yes. Oh, they, they save the funk mostly for the, for the UFO Factory B story, where uh, there is a group getting, uh, getting people to invest in a flying saucer factory and i've just got here that they they're building flying sas uh, f- flying saucers and uh like dj machines they're like, <laughs> this is this is the two products that this company will come out with ufo karaoke that's right i like it but yeah that was another the next one we saw it again had the a story and the b story and there was um it became an fbi story because there was this company 
claiming to sell uh, that was actually selling stock and what they claimed was a ufo propulsion systems company and every airline in the world is going to be buying these soon you can get in on the ground floor just give us you know a thousand dollars a share or whatever it was at the time and they find out that you know that what was the how did they recognize it uh they they were in their motel they say i've seen this before it was in that movie and the best part is that as they're having this little, I remember that movie, the ma- the housekeeper who came in, like, comes up, do you two like flying saucers? Because I saw that film. Do oh, you yes. know that they're out there? <laughs> you got, like, And you can just, like, see these, these two perfectly, like, turn to each other with a, oh, this is where we are now, ain't it? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, so the company had bought this prop <laughs> flying saucer from the company that had made a movie called The Day the Earth Trembled. Uh, Sounds Almost right. Yeah, and uh, and they 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 pretty much describe the opening of the day the Earth stood still and talking about the movie. But the potential investors can only look at it through a window because it's in a, a white room. They yeah. call it. it was, they're supposedly in a a, a a clean room, and but then they notice there's a door, door in the hallway right open. The side. We're walking in it's and like, out. You can't go in there. It's completely contained. You should tell that guy. He's walking, and then just pan over, walking through the door. Oh. And you get Sergeant Fitz showing up undercover as a kind of a bumpkin would-be investor offering a bunch of money. And then the FBI come in because it was all part of a sting they set up with the FBI. That was kind of cool. And that one was also nice because it had this um, book ending. At the very beginning, we get this lady on a plane seeing this light and, like, getting the flight attendant over. Oh, oh, I see a UFO. You've got to tell the pilot about it. Ah. And then at the end, they're flying back and they're on the plane with this lady again. And it's, oh, we, I saw it again. And our two Air Force people explain it. You're seeing light reflecting off the lakes below on the clouds. Say, no, 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 you're covering it up. It's the real thing. I know it. And it's just, it, uh, the question mark is not a, are they real question mark? It's a, are we ever go, uh, are people ever going to not completely think they're out there? Yeah, there was, it some of these had that little science moment at the end where you can learn something cool. You know, a few inches of rain on a dry lake bed, that's a perfect mirror. And they explain how that's the moon. But yeah, there's also the aspect of people are going to see what they want to see and report what they want to report and believe what they want to believe. I mean, that one's also weird because during that second half, they pad the end of the episode with our sergeant trying to pick up the flight attendant with a combination (laughs) of Air Force and Mormon trivia. I don't know why, but they'd go for that for a long while. Yeah, but that's a recurring theme with Sergeant Fitz. I think it is. Yeah, it's just, okay. Don't know what I'm going to do with this now, but that was an interesting little segment. Yeah, so that was one. They they put a lot into that one episode with the, the ranchers and the the stock sting yeah. and the lady on the plane with the uh, the reflections of the moon. That was a whole lot. That was, that was a dense but excellent episode. And then we got to another one, which is actually the one that I probably, apart from the end of that second episode with the really freaky looking ufos of the weird mouth the episode i remembered best was the one at the military academy that's a good one because that was that was very psychological that episode because it was about these kids at a like i say junior high aged kids at this military academy i guess so yeah and or maybe it like went from junior high through high school but it was a small group of kids because it was on break and these were just the ones who hadn't gone home for the break and 
they see a UFO, they see something in the sky, and then it drops this substance, which is this web-like, cottony sort of thing that covers <laughs> their uh, their parade ground. They keep calling it angel hair. Right. And I'm, I'm here with the bomb laughing. They dropped pasta? All <laughs> Italian over. chefs from space. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But it, it drops this lightweight floating substance, which everyone, all these kids run out to, in, to play in, and then it disappears overnight, but everyone's hands and skin turns green later. Yes. And that's like physical evidence. And one of the kids kept a little bit of it yeah. in a box, and that stayed around. It didn't disappear like the stuff outside did. So they can actually analyze it. That was interesting because it starts out with a group with a consistent report, fairly credible observers, and physical evidence. And you see our our leads get much more convinced simultaneously than they both do. Yes, yeah, because they have they have so much more to go on. They can they can all see this evidence and hear this evidence. And this and the B story to that one had them being called over by this observatory who had a guy who made a report about a thing in the woods right. he was off track and that's that, that's the one where they're just like oh this guy probably didn't know my, like saw some animal and but we have to go investigate it and as they investigate the one with the kids the evidence starts falling into place and they learn what it really was. Right. First, they think it was a plane and this was some kind of fuel residue, but eventually they learn exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. It was a plane, but it wasn't, the angel hair stuff was not fuel residue. It's experimental chaff. Right. It was a biodegradable anti-radar chaff that they were testing and the winds were not as expected, so it blew some of this chaff. The, the light reflected off of this uh, Air Force or, or the, this, um, this plane in just the right way that it just looked like a ball of light. And the winds blew the chaff onto the parade ground of the academy. Mm -hmm. And then they, they even – they brought a little industrial film to show the kids and explain <laughs> what it was. It was nice that they showed the Air Force explaining to the witnesses what they had seen. And that's something they do consistently in this show. Oh, yeah. It's not just, thank you for your, your, your um, information. We're going to go file a report. They show them going back to the people who reported this to try to explain to them – what happened? What is, what is this weird event in their life? And what is the best information we've been able to figure out about it? There's a, there's a, a an, an interaction that is, it is my duty to let you know what we've found and to let you know, not, not because we are trying to prevent you reporting stuff, but because we want to make sure you're informed and without ignorance so that if you do see something and report it, we know it's more. We want to remove the variables so that we can find things if they're out there. And that means we want to teach you and show you the things so you know more and can help us. Right. And the idea that an educated public is, is a, a, of great value, mm -hmm. even in, in general and in investigating these things. And I think that was part of their portrayal of the Air Force as good guys was always very much, we work for the American people. Yes. So if they report, us, report something to us. The American, if someone and the public reports something to us, part of our duty is to explain to them what we learn. And even the kid who then is still insistent about what he saw, 
we see him, we see uh, our major sit down with him and talk. Think about what, how this happened. Think about why you think you saw that. And if th- thinking of these other reasons in this, I'm not saying you didn't see anything, but I'm saying you should be very clear to know what you were doing and why and what, so that you can be uh, ready for other stuff. And if this is what your mind is thinking, this is what you're interested in, don't let go of that. Maybe this means you should go learn more about this topic so you can do things about this in the future and be good at this. Right, because one of the kids, who is also like the grandson of the commandant of the uh, the academy, had a bookshelf full of NASA and UFO experience books and all this stuff. And he claimed that in addition to the ball of light in the sky and the weird angel hair that everybody saw, he also saw over in the woods around the same time this flying saucer actually land. It's some beings were inside that he could see through the window, and then a dog came along and scared it away. And it was kind of a, yeah, he the... the 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 cool uncle talk that uh, Major Gatlin has with him. <laughs> That's a good description. The, it is very much a a I'm, cool uncle. Yeah, you're. <laughs> sometimes when we really want to believe something, our minds can play tricks on us, and kind of. And eventually, the kid says, "Yeah, maybe I didn't see it exactly the way I thought." <laughs> and they did that fairly well because that could have been done with the uh, in a very authoritarian. You didn't really see what you think you saw. Kind of, you know, Major Gatlin becomes a man in black. Yeah, but they didn't. No, they, they handled it fairly well. Look, and something they had to cover because it's part of the UFO investigation game. There, there are more main characters in media out there that need a cool Uncle Gatlin. Who just walks over <laughs> and like, calm down, kid. Think about why you thought that. I'm, I'm looking at what you read. You sure on there? Like, we need more instances of yeah. that. You can kind of almost see him turning his chair around backwards and <laughs> oh, saying, <yeah. laughs> let's, let's get real for a minute, Timmy, shall we? So you're saying this thing eat Reese's Pieces and got into a bike with you. You know what? I'm not going to say it didn't, but let's let's be sure. How much candy <laughs> had you had that night? Like, <laughs> he's he's not dismissing, but he's he's going to make sure he's getting a clear report from you. So that's how they resolved that A story in that one, where it was it was a uh, a test plane, and it was with this uh, dropping this experimental chaff. That's why it fell on you, and that's also why it disappeared overnight when there was a rainstorm, because it was designed to be biodegradable, and only the stuff that somebody had put in a shoebox inside remained. Uh, and the close encounter the kid had probably didn't really happen that's how they resolved that but, but the b then, story mm-hmm. i mean the b story goes from okay you probably saw some city lights or something wait no you were much farther out into the woods than we thought okay you climbed a tree and chased away the robot by trying to light the ground around you on fire not a smart move but we've got physical evidence that you did that so yeah, so physical evidence of him having climbed a tree and there having been a fire around it. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the silliest parts where he climbs a tree, he pulls off branches, and he starts lighting them with his lighter and throwing them at the metal robot on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I know aliens don't like burned human corpses, so I will trace the alien away. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I didn't um, think this plan through. But the alien apparently has a, uh, a fire extinguisher built into his arm. <laughs> oh, oh, great celebrity sighting, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, good The point. alien... Played Robbie. by Robbie the Robot. Right. Robbie the Robot with different headgear. Like, they, they put a weird dome with a giant green eye. But it's it was Robbie the Robot. It, it's Robbie the Robot as seen through the lens of the bad guys from Gundam. With that one eye mono. Like, 
That, right, that, that right. single light flashlight effect. You're right. Yes. Uh, although uh, this works, there's plenty of celebrities who go for a very distinctive new haircut later on in order to make sure that they keep getting roles. So I guess that's Robbie here. It was also kind of Robbie the robot mixed with Gypsy from MST3K. <laughs> Are you saying she maybe, has a brother out there? I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe. Could this have been the debut of his son? Maybe if we've got a celebrity couple oh, going that on, could be. Oh, another uh, celebrity sighting, a great 70s celebrity cameo, the the astronomer, the camper, like, first tells an astronomer, and the astronomer tells the Air Force, and when the it, the Air Force makes clear, we're going to listen to you honestly and give you a fair shake, then the, the camper uh, agrees to talk with them. The astronomer, played by Dr. Joyce Brothers, celebrity psychologist who popped up all over the place in talk shows and things in the 1970s. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, okay, you lit the tree on fire, and then you did what? You shot at it with your bow and arrow. Okay. And, uh, uh, I mean, we've got Horizon Zero Dawn here, shoot the robots with bows and arrows. Um, but we wind up with, you make your own arrowheads, and you make them out of stainless steel? Uh, high carbon tempered steel. High carbon tempered like steel. Those. Tempered steel of some kind. And then they find one of the arrowheads. It's, it's bent. It's got this oh, like, it's curly cue at the very tip. And they both stand there and I don't know anything that can bend it like this when being fought. Like, yeah. what did he hit? Right. Eventually get the, la- get the lab report. And it's like, well, all we know is that that arrowhead hit something that was harder than tempered steel. And that was the little reverse uh, Scooby-Doo moment for that one. Yeah. So the story where... They almost get convinced because there's so much evidence is completely explained. And the story that they are, well, it's our job to do this. We're not, we don't think it's going to be much. And we keep on giving an explanation is the one that leaves uncertainty. Right. That is excellent. And they, they get to a point in some of these where, well, (laughs) there's nothing else for us to investigate. We're going to file our report and it's going to have these open questions in it. And in terms of the reports, by the way, my understanding is that Jack Webb, who continued to produce the show, even when he wasn't doing the voiceovers, Jack Webb like went through the Project Blue Book files that were declassified to come up with story ideas. So these were all based more or less on actual Project Blue Book reports. And I, I bet he found one where in the end of the report was this, there was something out there harder than tempered steel, and, and we don't know what it was. Not that there's that it's it's that hard to find something harder than tempered steel but why would it be out in the woods with no other evidence of it yeah this is that is the fact that it has that basis in the actual reports is great and amazing it makes me wonder how much of the stories were added or changed or extended like this is a an, a show in which the production notes about it would be very interesting to read well, there were some of these where I know enough about the actual report that I I know that they changed quite a bit. These were some of these were just inspired by the actual reports, and that's another one of these um, that we watched with the space pancakes. Oh yes, space pancakes. <laughs> um, it started this one. It's, it's again. This is from season one. It starts out with a billionaire or i guess probably at the time multi-millionaire business magnate deciding to run for political office so right 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 at the start we're in crazy world oh yeah exactly and 
he's looking for an issue that's going to get him attention. And that's just very beginning. We tuck that away. Next thing you know, there's this guy with a UFO report, this old man, reporting an encounter with a UFO that landed near the gatehouse where he lives on an estate that he's kind of the, the caretaker for. And these beings come out, and they give him a bottle and ask him to fill it up with water. He does and gives them the water. And There's this floating alabaster jug. Right, yeah. He tries to move it, and it floats out of his hand and goes where it's supposed to go. And then they give him a cake. <laughs> this little loaf of bread or cake or, or some kind of thing. First of all, like the the aliens are portrayed as this head-to-toe black skin-tight suits with weird big white eyes. It's like he's being invaded by Mumenschanz. <laughs> and... Now, and the idea of them showing up and handing you a jug and a loaf of bread. Kind of, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean... And... I, I recognize the case that this was based on. I honestly don't remember if this is a UFO case I knew about when I first saw this. Probably I did, but now I'm certain. There's the Joe Simonton case where this farmer encounters, uh, reports this alien encounter where this alien landed on his uh, in his field and they get out. And one of the things that happens is they give him pancakes <laughs> He's like three pancakes. He eats one of them. He saves the others. Some of them are analyzed by a laboratory, I think, through the Air Force. And there's a report about there's nothing that unusual about what's in them. He said they tasted like cardboard. But clearly that Joe Simonton case is what this one is based on. Oh, absolutely. The old man with the space pancakes. <laughs> IHOP now delivers interstellarly. <laughs> It's it's interplanetary DoorDash for IHOP. Exactly. Like but we go through this whole thing, all of the electrical events, and it interrupted him building a dollhouse for his granddaughter and for this young this young girl and then it's oh wait. The girl he's saying he's building this for her birthday died a year ago. And everything starts falling in place that this guy is not in a, a very stable mental state. Right. And it, so it turns out it really was a misreport due to his mental state and his mental capabilities. Even though people around him try to bolster his report, partly for his sake, like his daughter, I think it is, <laughs> attempts to say that she saw something similar, even though at the end she admits I baked the cake and that must be where he got it. <laughs> and... The guy who was trying to run for Senate and was looking for an issue turns out to be this guy's employer. And he is trying to get traction for this story so that he can make cutting through the Air Force cover-up of UFOs to be his big, big campaign issue. But they prove him to be lying because he is going along with everything this guy says, even though he knows full well the granddaughter for whom he is building this uh, dollhouse passed away six months or a year ago. So, congratulations, you've tied yourself to this guy, and the fact that he is not all, not in the greatest state means that you either ruin your reputation with that, or have to admit you're faking this and ruin your reputation that way. If any tiny bit of this gets out, you're in trouble. And the fact that this guy is being, the this you know, g guy going into politics is being kind of two-faced gets his reporter 
uh, girlfriend to rethink their relationship and right. is going to probably release this. So, And it gives us a, a way to see our investigators deal with yet another kind of report. Mm-hmm. It wasn't somebody who was impressionable and misguided like the kid. It wasn't somebody who was intentionally lying in terms of the, the initial reporter, the old guy. But they were they had to be sympathetic to someone who was apparently suffering the beginnings of dementia, who was not a competent observer and reporter, but who was very sincere. He wasn't lying. He believed what he was telling them. He just was not rely, a reliable observer and reporter in that sense. And we do see them treading very carefully about that. And in the end, it was clear they had to make an honest report, but they were not going to diminish this guy's reputation in any way that they could help. Their point was not to say this guy is incompetent and lying. Their point was to say, here's what he reported. Here's what we found. So again, showing these as as the good guys, the Air Force guys as the good guys. And it's not like this show is serious all the time. Oh, no, no. This show has its its humor. I mean, the best bit here is when they get back the lab results where... um, Oh, from the pancake? From the pancake. Hi, Major. That lab report came in on the Carl Youngstrom cake or bread or whatever it is. Okay, Libby, let's have it. Okay. uh, We have completed our examination of the material submitted with your telex of May 18. Microscopic analysis shows the presence of hydrogenated fat, starch, wheat, bran, soybean, and buckwheat hulls with a small amount of disaccharides. You know what disaccharides are, Major? Sugar, Libby. Keep going. Bacteriological examination and measurement of radioactivity gave results which are consistent with the view that the article is a muffin or pancake of unusual shape, but definitely of terrestrial origin. Remainder sample is being held pending your instructions. Signed, Captain M.L. Yankworth, assistant to the etc. Okay, thanks. He's got a personal comment he wrote in. What? Jake, you could enter this in an old-fashioned bake-off and come in about third. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of lighten that up when they can. It's fun. Yeah, it's not like this show is, is always grim and gruff, but it takes itself seriously, and right. that's the difference. Yep. From there, we hopped forward to the most recent episode we watched. That was season one, the la- next to last episode of season one, episode 12. And that was another interesting one because there were so many different sightings and some additional evidence beyond the reports. And some of the sightings were our two mains. Right. We're there for one of them. They are going, I think one of them lost a bet to another. And so one of them had to buy the other dinner at some nice restaurant near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So the, the finest restaurant in Dayton, I am sure. And, you know, I had to go to Wright-Pat for business like years ago. And the guy I was with was spent the entire trip trying to get me to ask any of the Air Force people around us where Hangar 18 was. Can I? Can Can you take me to Hangar 18? I promise I won't tell anybody. Oh boy! I didn't. I didn't. But I was very tempted. But he spent the entire trip <laughs> trying to convince me to do that. I think that might not have gone over very well. I don't know. Probably not. But yes, yeah, so they are. They're out at, at dinner. And with a restaurant with these giant windows, and there's this UFO right outside the windows. So they they are part of this entire restaurant full of people who have just witnessed this. 
and they're going out there. Everybody's clamoring over towards the windows. Everybody's you know, going, moving towards the windows to see it. They call out, does anybody have a camera? And somebody says, oh, I have one in my car. I'll go get it. I'm thinking, this is probably why we don't have as many of this kind of UFO report anymore. Because one guy in this crowded restaurant has a camera in his car versus every single person in there getting this on Instagram within 30 seconds. Yeah. In some ways, we have become more dangerous for UFOs to come to. Because if anything were to try to land anywhere near population, the number of people immediately aware of it and headed to the location would be a problem. But they could become highly paid uh, social media influencers very easily because, man, they get a lot of likes. I am here to open this fourth dimensional package of new product. (laughs) So, yeah, we have our two investigators as two of the the primary witnesses to this uh, UFO encounter. But at the same time, there were sightings of the same UFO from uh, the guard at the Air Force Base gate, who they had just spoken with minutes before, Mm -hmm. Uh, a farmer not far away, a a National Forest Service employee in a fire lookout tower. And they've got a lot of reports. Interesting point, they have Gatlin and Fitz there talking about the UFO they saw, and they were standing shoulder to shoulder looking at this from the restaurant, and they disagree about what it looked like. So that was a great little commentary about the unreliability of eyewitness testimony. Mm -hmm. It was orange and yellow lights. Now, there were green lights. I saw orange and yellow. And they're in this disagreement right there. It's like... Right. One saying it was cigar-shaped. The other saying it was round and symmetrical, but had stuff on the bottom of it. Very interesting. And that's true. Eyewitness testimony is not that reliable because we all see things a little bit differently. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it helps add the, to the fallibility of our main protagonists without reducing their authority. Yes, because they were both being very direct and honest. They dis- were disagreeing, but it also says if these guys are disagreeing, they recognize the limitations of the reports they get from other people. Mm-hmm. And there's also, the, in addition to the sightings, there's another piece of evidence they have in this one, which is a recording Oh, yes. The recording of the noise. Oh, and the third piece, which is these glowing lights where it went. Right. This UFO had these glowing lights around it and flashing different colored lights. And then there was some kind of, uh, it looked like sparks or some people were saying it was shooting things. It was something coming out the bottom of this UFO. And they later find a bunch of fluorescent material scattered around. I do I do appreciate the guy who fell off his tractor and was so insistent that they were that these these aliens were shooting their lasers at me. Yes, yeah, right. They came a, a billion billion miles to to shoot you with their lasers and steal your hat. You are an important farmer. <laughs> I'm I'm just, I just want, I just want to take that little clip of him falling off with their laser things <laughs> and really up the sound effects on it. So like, <laughs> <laughs> or re- replace the uh, UFO with an X-wing. It's like, yes. yes, this is Star Wars Episode Nine: The Farmer Strikes Back, <laughs> or, or, or the Resistance Strikes Back against the Farmer. I guess. I guess so. Well, Thanos did go and go and become a farmer, so maybe they're. That's we've, true. We've hey. got a Disney crossover here of the weirdest yeah. type, but hitting the wrong target. Maybe, maybe that guy was Thanos, and we couldn't tell because of that. 
<laughs> he has a pretty big hat, this guy. Pretty big hat. So they had the, the confetti, which they later determine is confetti treated with fluorescent paint. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, they were able to shine a helicopter spotlight on it, and it glows after they turn off the light. Right. So, But they've got this tape because the, um, the fire lookout was recording an audio letter to uh, her family when, the, when this thing occurred, and she grabbed her binoculars to look at it, but the tape recorder kept running. So there was this sound, and the other witnesses, including our Air Force guys, recognized what was on the tape. Yeah, that's the sound I heard. I'll never forget it. So they, of course, send that tape to the lab. And we get this really cool reveal where the lab here has these, like, three reel-to-reels running. It's a, okay, so here's the sound you heard. Now what's this? that's That's a helicopter engine. Okay, turn that off. And what's this? Sounds like classical music. What's this? That's a, a different piece. We put them all together. Oh my goodness, it's the sound. Yeah, it was like different, three different pieces of classical music at different speeds, plus the sound of the helicopter equals the sound of the UFO that everybody heard. Mm-hmm. And that right there was really cool because that was clear like scientific reveal and i liked that that was this that that gave get that gave the lab that they send stuff to authority yes they do more than just analyze pancakes and and Make arrowheads yeah they uh they really had to do some, uh employ some creativity to not only figure out what this is but they found the actual classical music recordings that were the components of this weird sound mm-hmm. and that led to some more in detective work by our our two investigators, but also throughout this story, there was a little bit of more of an X Filesy kind of thing, in that because they were Air Force personnel who had reported these UFO sight their own UFO sighting, they were being investigated. They were being tailed by a team from the OSI, and they knew they were being tailed. It was not that. Hard to figure out. And there was a little confrontation between Major Gatlin and his superior about who's investigating us. So there was a little bit of that paranoia, like, we're supposed to be investigating, but now we're the targets. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, the sergeant has some good snark there. In the middle of the oil crisis here, we should be driving the same car, save the gas. (laughs) Right, yeah. They're two different (laughs) giant motor pool Air Force staff cars, one following the other all day. It's like, (laughs) we should just carpool. That was great. (laughs) I loved that. Um, but yeah, they, they go through this whole thing and hunt down the rest of the evidence and they can't find any. They're like, this is this is more terrestrial based if we're finding this stuff, we think. But we can't find the materials someone you have used to make what, something. Or... Right. So they really go into cop mode and they have their, their assistant calling every supplier of the necessary materials. They, having figured out what kind of helicopter it is from the sound analysis, start figuring out. We know when it was sighted where, so we can cr- map out the flight path and the flight plan of this helicopter so they figure out where it must have originated and where it were t- returned to. And they find this flight school. Yep. And I, I love the reveal here because it's a, oh, very nice place you have here. Oh, and you're a fan of classical music. These are good tracks. And he pulls the three things. <laughs> right. And 
I'm just going to give up the ghost, especially if you pulled out those three immediately. Yeah, the 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 person responsible for this, um, uh, for lack of a better term, I'll call it hoax. We had seen him in passing in the town earlier when they were checking out the report from the farmer. And he was a veteran who had flown helicopters in Korea and had a flight school and his business. He was apparently a brilliant engineer and a great pilot, but his business was not doing well. And he was trying to drum up some more publicity. So he was creating these little UFO sightings. And the next time he went out, he said it was going to be a sign advertising his flight school. Mm Mm-hmm. This is all a this is all a a, a a a piece of marketing that spun a little out of control, right? Especially when he was he was shot at by the gate guard at Red Patterson, mm-hmm. and it was hard to dislike the guy. He was a person who was trying to get his business uh, on its feet and or keep his business running, and he was good at what he did. He, as he said, "I'm a great pilot, not a bad engineer, and just a terrible businessman." Yeah, it, and that one doesn't have a a question mark for that reason. Not really. Mm-hmm. Right. But instead, it's got a positive kind of, we're just people. Right. He's just trying to do his thing. And they don't give an explanation as to what's going to happen with him. Yeah, they the, they just say, he, he asks what happens next, and they just say, well, channels. You know, you know about channels. We file our report. And I get the impression that they had no interest in making life difficult for this guy. And there was also a certain amount of respect for this veteran that they had. And he was injured. He was... Yeah, he did. He, he had uh, uh, a prosthetic leg, and that was one of his problems was he couldn't get a job as a pilot. No one was going to hire a... At the time, at least, nobody was going to hire a pilot with a prosthetic leg, even though he he says he, he flies better now than he ever did. And apparently, he could still fly a helicopter just fine. Oh, yeah. Because they pointed out what a great bit of flying it was for him to tow around this model UFO he created with steel and or or plywood and christmas lights and have that suspended under his helicopter while he controlled the lights and the sound system and the system to drop the confetti remotely that was pretty awesome engineering yeah but he couldn't get a job flying for anybody else i mean my hope is i mean this is a guy who can build his own prop stuff he's mixing classical music together at different speeds and he's running lights and confetti at the same time. I'm hoping this guy winds up, even if it's not flight, with a wonderful DJ career. That's my headcanon later, that this guy then gets hired for parties and events and starts an entire you know, business running that stuff now. He That'd be amazing. That would but, be great. And as pointed out also, the reason they couldn't find all the materials is this guy ordered everything from around the country. He had it mailed to him. This guy is Amazon priming himself a UFO before the days of it. That's right. Yeah, that was not that usual at the time. And they were looking for all of the local distributors of, like, fluorescent paint. They didn't think to check someplace in New Jersey or California. But, I mean, also, if this guy's that good at flying and knows where to get these things, his other business opportunity is start running shipments and such all over. Start coordinating materials places yeah create a, a, a custom cargo service or something yeah there's 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 two perfectly great methods for this so i have hope that that guy would have future but it leaves that open yeah they don't tell us but yeah i'd like to think that he found a way to use maybe found a business manager and found a way to use his obvious intelligence and skill to uh to a real successful business mm-hmm. 
So that was the last of the ones that we saw. So, And I think that they gave us a pretty good overview of the kinds of stories they told in the context of this show. And they read more as period pieces now, but they still kind of hold up. And I, I really liked it. Oh, yeah. So we're going to have to get into our, our usual questions uh, to wrap this up. But there is another little segment I want to add, and that is our small world segment. Oh, boy. Oh, yes. Because we have to mention, uh, the more we watch these, the more we're going to see some crossovers. So for this one, we actually see a cast member who appeared in a previous show that we watched for the IWMP, who appeared in this one as well. And that, of course, is Robbie the Robot. Exactly. Robbie the Robot shows up in a Columbo that we watched. And we've, we've, crossing over of cast members and such, that says something about the fact that all of these media pieces are affecting each other. We hear another reference in this same one where our sergeant is not prepared for what they're serving at the restaurant. Right. He wants to know what is the calmare on the menu? <laughs> what, what is this? Tell me about the calmare. In that case, could you please tell me about the calmare? Mates, for your information, the calmare is only 1250. Wait till Ohio State and Michigan, Harry. At the Elysee, we push our calmar in most delicate white wines. A hint of bay leaf, a sprinkling of capers, and a bouquetier of scampi. We are lucky to have some just flown in today, sir. Nice change from the mess hall. But underneath the white wine in the poach, what is the uh, kelmar? Oh, only the most tender squid, sir. A great delicacy. You mean squid with those tin, gruesome... A squid, sir. Like in Captain Nemo. Ours are somewhat smaller. So, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, another reference to a previous IBWMP. We're going to hear more and more of these as we go along. None of this exists in a bubble, and none of it will. And that's something we've got to be aware of, because every piece of it can interact with each other and can influence what the other pieces of media are doing where they decide to go and what gets greenlit. So it's kind of we're we're diving deeper and deeper into this this world of the uh, the seventies and eighties and 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 before. Mm-hmm. The more we do these, again, yeah. now this just tells you they they could assume that everybody who watched Project UFO had seen Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and guess what? They're probably right. You're probably right. I certainly had. We at least had in the right order here. That's right. So, now that we've done that, our first question is, binge or no binge? I'm going to say binge, but I'm going to say binge in the fact that these are fun, these are excellent, I love them, I, I am your son, and I am just as, ooh, yay, about this. I can I get into a different portion of it sometimes than you did, but I'm just as excited Although I see the benefits of that every week see an episode. Because as we as I described before, that would reinforce the procedure and the the structure that these shows have. Even as it kind of eased off of that later in season one and probably in season two, it still had that in there. It still was a procedural. And keeping that on a on a, a schedule can be good for those shows. Mm-hmm. But I say binge because you can't. It's like chips. You want to have more than one at once. Yeah. So we wind up watching more of these than we probably <laughs> intended. 
to do this podcast, partly because we weren't recording because we were sick. And what do you do when you're you're sick? You watch reruns on TV. Yeah. yeah. Watch and Project UFO, play some Kingdom Hearts. We're good. That's right. But it really it, it is there it is comfort food television. It's fun to watch. And I would definitely recommend the binge. That being said, this is a difficult series to get a hold of because it is very much in a rights limbo. It hasn't been broadcast much since it was originally broadcast. It's not available on DVD or streaming. I'll see if I can provide a link to someplace you might be able to see it. The tube of you is hmm? the tube of you <laughs> is a good place to to find some of these. Right. It's a series I would very happily buy on DVD. I don't know that it would be worth a Blu-ray, but just because it's 1970s television. Uh, in terms of video quality, but I would love to be able to buy a copy of this series, but unfortunately, that's not possible right now. If someone in our our listening audience, now or later on going back to this episode, is in a position, I mean, I'm, I'm super hopeful here, but I'm hoping somewhere out there the idea of there are people who want a copy of this on DVD, and I could see a collection of this with production notes. Like, the Project UFO box set with some info about what they were doing and where, like the reference to what the story they based it on was. Right. It wouldn't take much. It would take a, a static page on a DVD menu, but that would be phenomenal. I would buy that in a heartbeat just because it has that roots that you can look at and there's more to each of them than just the story on the screen. Right. The more you're into the UFO lore, the more you'd get out of this. It's not necessary, but it's kind of fun when you can say, oh, that's like the Joe Simonton case. That's like the uh, this other case. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, let us uh, you do the DVD. Let us do a commentary track for it. Yeah, let, We're there. <laughs> that, please do. Yes. So, yeah, that's a binge. If you can find it, I think we're agreeing on that. Mm-hmm. So our next question is revive, reboot or rest in peace. So revive means bring this show back. And, you know, we stumbled upon a pretty good definition of revive for our purposes not long ago. Revive would mean that what came before is still canon. Mm -hmm. So if you've got it's the same show, but a new generation or you've got the same show and you've brought back the same characters or characters who have learned from the first characters and everything that came before is still canon in the story, but you're making new stuff. That's revive. Reboot is you're starting from scratch, you're revisioning, reimagining, like the Battlestar Galactica reboot. It's, you're starting fresh with the same idea. And then, of course, rest in peace is just that. We don't need to do more with this. So what do you think for Project UFO, Ian? Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? I think that it has been answered in some ways because right now airing is a Project Blue Book show. And that means that the Project Blue Book that they are referencing has already been rebooted. But I I want to call a a revive in a callback. I don't... Uh, trying to do another show of this exact one and continuing it's not there, but if you're gonna make a thing, set, reference these two as people in the Air Force. Have them on a wall somewhere. I want a callback, but I don't need a revival completely. So you're saying that the History Channel's Project UFO series is... You're thinking of that as a reboot of Project UFO? I think of it's a project. I, I, it's hard. I'm trying to separate the show from its its origin, and yeah. and that's where I'm getting because I I loved the format of this. I want more of this format, but 
I, I maybe I'm just not hopeful that we'd ever get one because someone has already taken the source material and run another race with it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do with this. I think to I would really need to think of it as a in order to think of it as a reboot. I would really need to see this formula with their two Air Force investigators with that same honesty and diligence that they show in this series. The, I've been watching, I know I showed you, I made you watch the first episode of on the History Channel. I've continued watching it. It is not good. It's not good? It's, I, I'm going to keep watching it probably because I'm me, but it is just, works so hard to make all this stuff exciting. It is, all of the conspiracy mythology stuff from the X-Files times 10 with a little bit less backup and it's making Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was really part of a a project blue book, this crusader for truth. Whereas for a long time, he had the reputation of he was the guy who would call any UFO a weather balloon or swamp gas later on when project blue book closed, he started other projects to investigate UFOs with what seemed like a much more open mind, but he is totally the crusading hero in this History Channel Project Blue Book. It's it's a Project Blue Book series made by the Hitler UFO channel, which is called the History Channel. That makes sense. So I'm sorry, I went on a little rant there. But oh, you're fine. I'm so disappointed because I wanted this new Project Blue Book series to be really good. I kind of wanted it to be an update of Project UFO, and it's not. It's It's totally dramatized, totally fictionalized, and... N- even though they claim to have based every story on a, a Project Blue Book, Blue Book report, they take even more liberties than Project UFO did. At least at least if the first episode is anything to go by, you don't have to, to listen to too much because the soundtrack will drown out any of the talking. Yeah, some of that weird sound balance issue on uh, yeah. on that History Channel show. So I, I, want, I want a reboot with the structure, with the setup. I think that the media isn't going to let that happen anytime soon, anytime for a while. Media shows now seem to be a little scared of procedural as much in that sense. The The structure of it is not what they want. So they go for the, the drama, dramatic portion of it. And so trying to get that off the ground would be hard to do. Yeah. So at very least, I want to see this keep going. Some other things could have a better time getting procedural back in, which would give this a chance. And in the meantime, just don't forget it. Let it make make reference to it. Just as this show pulled in reference to other stuff, you know, these two should be go-to Air Force names if you need a character in the background to reference on. That would be cool. That they, would be... That's the maybe sort they of, have, I, for all I know. I haven't paid that much maybe, attention. Uh, maybe they have. Sergeant Fitz and Major Gatlin. Yeah, give, give us Fitz and Gatlin as the names you go to, because this show deserves loving tribute until things are back for it to be able to get a revival. Right. So... Now, here's... Or a, re- a reboot, I mean. Here's yeah. a, th- a thought. This show, like we talked about early in the podcast, this series, Project UFO, was really... A cop show with a UFO skin. It was a procedural detective investigation show, happened to be about UFOs. Mm-hmm. They don't make that kind of police show. This was very much a 1970s cop show with a UFO skin. Yeah. Could you make a 
20 teens cop show with the UFO skin. I'm trying to think of what kind of police shows are made now that are distinctive to today. And could you make one of those but make it about UFOs instead of about crime? I don't know the answer. But if they're going to do a reboot, it should be that innovative. Not just let's try to make more of a 70s TV show. That That's a very good point. And if you were to set it more modernly, interestingly enough, you might have a better chance because part of your episode would be a group at the home base. A li- You'd get more screen time with the secretary character in the lab because there'd be a lot more reviewing the social media posts and reviewing the the reporting and doing online research and such and lab work of a higher degree because there's a lot more availability of some of this stuff you'd have more things in an isolated set which might be easier to green light because you don't have to spend as much of your film time out somewhere else recording you can do it on your one soundstage for more of each episode which brings your overall cost lower you might have a better time getting the budget to do that then so it might have a chance then if you were to set it more more now instead of setting it during project blue book time so a little bit more of a, a csi ufo show yeah and csi we're already a little dated by now it's not a totally current reference but yeah i, I focus more on the science and make it you know ufo csi which that might work that might work i'm i'm trying to think of the the one issue is that your cast gets bigger then because you need to have people being at the at the home base and at the lab and on the field and you'll have to work a little harder to balance out because you could get the personality of our two leads through their interactions the binge will help that cuz you'll see all these little interactions one after another but you'd have to up their personality presentation a little so that everyone shines as their own individual character with less screen time each. Maybe, but it could definitely work. That's an idea, making it that more of the the scientific analysis, make that at least as much as the investigation and scene, uh, witness interview and scene investigation. And and you're even describing there that Project Blue Book itself had follow-up groups and follow-up investigations. Right. So you're putting this more as a... A generation of Project Blue Book later. Now, another idea, if you want to say, okay, let's find a current innovative cop show and put the UFO skin on it. Start out with True Detective Hmm. and make that a UFO show. Now, that would be just bizarre. And some would argue the X-Files kind of did that somewhat, even in the other way around. And some would argue that True Detective did that. But I would want them to start with something that was really that new and weird and current. Um, so, yeah, something updating the, the CSI formula for UFOs or something taking the weird philosophy and psychology from left field like a true detective and making that a UFO show. That might be worth a Project UFO reboot. That could definitely work. Though I can't imagine Sergeant Fitz talking about time being a flat circle, but we'll see. <laughs> As long as it starts out with, you know, the narration. That that's when I know that they're they're pulling from yes. Project UFO. Right. 
Yeah, we don't have Jack Webb with us, unfortunately. Maybe Patrick Warburton can do the the narration. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Patrick Warburton works. He could definitely get that opening to have that clean Christmas it needs. So it sounds like neither of us can really... we, We like this show enough that we can't bring ourselves to say, rest in peace. We don't see how a revival could be done... But maybe some kind of reboot would be possible. Maybe if something. Somebody can figure out how to do that. It would be awesome. And we'd be there to watch it. We would be immediately there to watch it. Well, I think that wraps it up for us on this new uh, installment of the Intermillennium Media Project. Thanks to everybody for uh, joining us. Uh, again, we hope to be back to our every other week schedule from now on. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at... Um, immproject.com that'll give you access to all of our old episodes and a contact page where you can get in touch with us you can also contact the podcast via twitter and where can people reach you ian you can find me most places as item crafting either on twitter at at item crafting or at itemcrafting.com and you can reach me on twitter at by matthew porter two t's in matthew or uh online at uh MatthewFPorter.com. So thanks again. We'll be back soon. And until next time, go find something new to watch.